Finally, we're going. together. I know. I'm so excited. I rolled yes. straight out of bed and showed up here. <laughs> you would feel comfortable. <laughs> Thank you. I just I rolled out long enough to get coffee and then into here. Julia and I uh, have been friends for many years. I'm not even sure how long, a long time. And we went to the same faith organization for a little while. And we also, and I didn't even know that at first, we were on the same board of directors together for a nonprofit uh, supporting women. So it's kind of kismet that Julie and I get to come back together talking about women because Julie and I have gotten to work on this before for many years. And I've watched Julia's career take off and she's now a high powered executive. And uh, one of the things I love about her is that she's even through everything she does in her, in her work life, she brings her, just her authenticity, her spirituality, her compassion, her kindness. And she's just a good, she's a good egg. Says Julia. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was the sweetest introduction ever. It's really nice <clears throat> to meet you, Julia. So nice to meet you. It's yeah. We'll have to connect offline at some point because I, yeah, we've heard so much about each other. That'd be fun to connect. I like it when friends know friends. <laughs> yes. Cool people can meet cool people. <laughs> so I know we, we shared questions and everything and we don't want to, we want to keep this like very circular and flowy, flowy, yeah. flowy, like Pantene Pro V hair. Exactly. Right? <laughs> you want to be able my... to feel and see the pro vitamins guys. That's right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. So Julia, what, what is your, what has your path to leadership been like? Share that journey for us. Whatever yeah, you feel I'm, comfortable sharing. Yeah, I'm happy to. Well, you know, after I graduated from college, I did a few different jobs. I actually managed a Barney's Coffee in Orlando, Florida. Wow. And I know. And then fell into not not for profit world doing fundraising. And honestly, didn't even know that my type of job existed. I didn't realize that. And then met someone who did, you know, public policy, advocacy, government relations for a health system in Florida. And um, actually through the Women's Resource Center. And we connected and eventually she had a job opening. I applied and was able to get a job and honestly fell in love with the work. Within a matter of weeks, I knew this was my calling. So worked there for about eight years and then moved out to California and was doing kind of consulting work for a while and working at the federal level and then found this job in Sacramento. And I started off as a director. I was the only person that they've ever had full-time doing government relations, public policy, which is, I work for a large health system. So for a health system that size, it's unique. Most, most of the time they have someone that focuses on this. So what I was able to do was kind of build a whole program around that, um, get very strategic about how we were doing, you know, government relations, public policy, and then eventually start to grow a team. And I think it's been two years. I was promoted to, no, 15 months. I was promoted to public affairs executive, which is basically a VP position within the organization. So woot, woot, woot. yeah, love that. That's love really that. cool. It sounds like everything started for you once you found something you really loved. 
definitely. No, that's a good point. I loved, you know, doing fundraising and not for profit work, but it was really when I understood that intersection of private companies and government that I was, yeah, a light bulb went off. And healthcare policy is just so unique and yeah. interesting. Every day is different. I never feel like I'm an expert in anything because it changes just, just as you learn something. So that's really um, interesting, actually, because I think there's this concept of, you know, if you're a leader, that you have to be the expert. And in most cases, that's not true at all. Yeah, so I love that you said that. Yeah, no, I think especially true in healthcare. you know, I, I touch and work on anything that has to do with healthcare, and healthcare is so complex as you know anyone who's ever been a patient of healthcare knows that there's no way I could be an expert so I'm lucky that I call upon teams of experts to kind of help me so I always say I'm like an inch deep and a mile wide on my but it's fun it's a constant learning I'm a lifetime learner and I think that's what's unique about this job is that you're always learning amazing that's great and and how have women made a difference in this journey this this wonderful journey you've had so far? Well, I would say, you know, obviously um, there's been one woman woman in particular um, that I just mentioned who gave me like my foot in the door and let me know about this position. And, you know, we've since moved on. She's retired, but she's still a mentor. In fact, Friday afternoon, I called her up and I haven't worked under her for, you know, eight years or so. And I called her up and was bouncing things off of her and she's retired. And so it's been wonderful to have, you know, a female that was a leader herself that I've been able to connect with and have her as a mentor. I can see how having someone that you identify with on such a deep level, being sort of the flashlight, helping you see the path ahead can, can really change the way you look at your own future. Absolutely. And it's nice to have someone that kind of been there, done that, you know? Yeah. I think as women, we don't have a lot of those sometimes. So my example is I didn't grow up in a household. My mom worked out of the home, but she, she was did odd, odd and end jobs, bus driver, salesperson. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't have like a professional role model growing up. So whereas a lot of males tend to. You know, they have, they have men in their life that get in a business suit and go to work. And, and I really didn't meet anyone to kind of show me the ropes until I met, you know, the woman I was just talking about Maureen. And so I think, you know, that's sometimes a challenge because you don't have that in your day-to-day life. Not that my mother wasn't amazing, but she just, you know, wasn't in a corporate world. Yeah. We tend not to look at our parents as our role models for for lots of things because they're so close to us. Yeah. Like there are of course always going to be examples within them that you see that, you know, you may admire and want to embody and sometimes not, but you know, it's like you always get your best advice from someone you don't know that well, who's probably telling you something your parents already told you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I relate a lot to what you just said about not being conventional female representatives as leaders. And I think part of it too is 
the concept of the word leader, right? When I was a kid and someone asked me, when you hear the word leader, what comes to your mind? And I don't think there are that many who would disagree with like white male. What you see, if you look for clip art in, you know, like the different um, applications. You remember you used to like put together print uh, spreadsheets or presentations and you'd look for clip art. Right. You know, you'd, you'd see a bunch of dudes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't grow up with a concept of female leadership. The few examples that would come up whenever someone would talk about female leadership would be like female presidents who lived in countries very, very far away that I have no connection to. Yeah. And uh, there, there was nothing immediate. So I never saw myself as a leader because I yeah. didn't have the schema for it. So when it became time for me to level up and get ambitious, I had a significant barrier because I couldn't visualize it. You're not you know? represented. No, that's important. No, that's yeah, that's kind of the point I was trying to make is that when you see other women in leadership roles, then you know that it's possible when, but, yeah. but when there's a, that void there, it's like, oh, yikes. What, what does that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge part of it. And then also the type of female leadership. I, when I would see female leaders, they were always like dudes. Hmm. That's they, a good always, point. they always showed up as very masculine. And there was this feeling of like, in order to be a leader, you have to be devoid of emotion. You can't present as someone who feels anything because that's perceived as weakness. You can't lead with vulnerability. Mm. You have to always look like you're the expert. You have to be arrogant, pompous, like just big. Yeah. Yeah. Big. And then when I look at the qualities that embody a good leader, it's people who support. It's people who lift up the group. And the people in those roles a lot of times are background workers who don't have the title of leader. They're the ones who are supporting. And I think because there's that disconnect between the concept of leadership and the actual work of being a leader, there's so many people myself included, who didn't recognize that we were doing true leadership work. Very, that's, yeah, spot on. Very good point. Was that, has that been your experience, Julia, as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, Amy made a good point that there's certain leadership qualities that are more, would be more inherent to the male gender. And that when we cross into those qualities, like if we're assertive or confident, we can be seen as bitchy. Yeah. And so it, it's a fine line. And then Amy made a really good point that really, you know, in my view, good leaders do support each other and are vulnerable. I, I would like to think, you know, the work of Renee Brown, I think she's brought that type of leadership qualities to the forefront, has really taught all leaders that that's that's where we should be aiming for but um before that it was that type of behavior was almost seen as a weakness yeah for sure yeah yes. um, 
Renee Brown is a big one. Yeah, she's always featured in any leadership, education, training, seminars, anything. She's always she's always brought up because the work she did is so valuable there. Yeah, yeah, and she's sort of like the. I feel like she started this sort of movement in a way. And of course, a lot of other people have taken that up, which is the goal of any good movement. It's not that one person continues to control it or anything. It, it, and, and I think that's what's great about her. You know, she was consulting with companies on these things, but she didn't just exclusively continue to consult with companies. She wrote books. She's She's done very public facing things like being on Netflix and you know, bringing that to the masses, which is really great because that's, that's how culture change happens. It doesn't happen just because you talk to a small group of elite people and say, Hey, y'all need to change the way you do things, but you have to help educate everyone because even people, I mean, that are further down the career ladder who are sort of systematized to expect a certain hierarchy that has to change as well. That that's that's how that occurs. I was reading, I sent you all this article from the Kelly School of Business about, and it was talking about this exact thing you're discussing, which is they call it the double bind. Mm-hmm. If, if women are too <clears throat> alpha, so to speak, <laughs> they lean a little bit too much into the type A mentality, they can be perceived as bossy or as arrogant. But if they're too sort of female or soft or approachable, then they can be perceived as weak. So I'm interested, Julia, and like, how have you found that balance in your career? Because I was um, listening to another podcast and they were talking about authenticity being your external expression matches your internal state, which I thought was a pretty powerful description. So do you feel like you can show up at work authentically? And, and how, do you, how do you find that balance dealing with this double bind? Sorry, that's a really big question. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think I'm getting better at showing up at work authentically. I tend to separate my life pretty, I'm a really emotional person on in my interpersonal relationship with my friends, with my family. But when I go to work, there's a lot of emotion I won't show. I stonewall just because of the, you know, like crying in a meeting, I would just be afraid of the men in that room suddenly totally judging me and thinking I'm not a leader, but those walls are starting to fall a little bit and I'm starting to bring a little more of my authentic self into that space. I think I'll always have a little bit of that line where it's, you know, leader Julia and home Julia, (laughs) but I think that's, that's okay. Right. Because, you know, home, home Julia, I'm, these people live with me, love me, and they're going to be there with me no matter what. So obviously that's a different space to show up. It's a very, very safe space at home. But I think as I get older, I'm separating the two a little more and learning that I can, there can be sides of that emotional side that can show up at work and really serve its purpose. You know, it can drive change and connect with people. That's the other thing, you know? Yeah if someone else is having a bad day and ends up having a breakdown in a meeting, it's, you know, I think there's, there's connection that we all have bad days and have breakdowns at meetings and things. So I think there, I, I found that there's, there's times to bring in and it doesn't have to be so separated. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. You know, when you see a leader become emotional and sometimes people don't really know what to do only because they've never had that experience, but I think you're right 
going into our more spiritual talk here, I mean, it, it sort of breaks open the heart center, right? Mm -hmm. You can't help. We have a natural empathy as human beings to connect and relate with others. And we have a strong desire to do that. So we may have learned over time and been taught over time, don't be emotional at work, but our natural human reaction when somebody else cries or becomes emotional is that just like watching a movie, we're going to feel that emotion, you know, most of us, and, and that can help connect and relate to people. I know I've, I've been slightly more emotional in meetings at some moments when things were going on in my life or something was happening in the world. You know, I think a good example of that was when everything was happening during 2020 with the protests around George Floyd's murder. And I, I didn't feel like I could show up yeah. uh, the same way that I did before. I, I was feeling so much heaviness and I just wanted to create space for other people to be able to share. And that was hard, you know, but for me to sit there and put on a mask and pretend that that wasn't affecting me or that pretend like it wasn't, a, I didn't want anyone else to have to show up yeah. with that, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And what I'm seeing, honestly, is a, a shift that more men are showing up in that way too. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing. We need, we need the, yeah, it creates trust when you see someone show up as a human being. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. When you think about your sort of personal values, your value system, um, what, what are some of those values that you feel like you've, that have helped you in your journey? You know, I, I, I think about some of the women who are listening to this podcast, some of them may be struggling in their careers. Some of them may be um, in a job that they can't stand and not knowing how to make that decision of whether to leave or stay. Gosh, a lot of women, yeah. we're so loyal. We don't know when something is good or not for us. So can, can you talk a little bit about just your personal values that have helped you? Yeah. I mean, I think one of them is knowing what's good for the soul and what's not. Now, not everyone gets the, I think as Americans, we were like, you know, find something you love and not everyone gets that beauty of finding exactly what you love, but I think you can find joy in what you're doing. And so, um, so trying to find joy, even if it's not something you love, but also being aware if it's a toxic environment, how do you get out? And, um, Ooh, think- wait, talk about this. How do you, how do you, rec- <laughs> I, I think this is important. How yeah. do you recognize when it's a toxic environment at work? I think I'm, lean- I'm leaning in. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Like, tell me more. I haven't, I haven't thought this all the way through. So this is totally off the cusp. I think when your values and morals are not being, upheld to and you feel like they're you know I think that's a big one when you feel degraded in any way like you should not feel degraded at work ever I think when it's your values or morals are you feel like you're being they're being pushed in ways that aren't comfortable for you and if you feel like someone's degrading you in any way that's definitely a toxic environment Mm -hmm. I usually know if I'm in one based on how I show up in the environment. Mm. Um, if I feel like I need to start getting smaller, mm. that's good usually, one. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I, if I, because 
people who know me know me to be gregarious. I, I talk to others and I'm, I like to engage with, with my coworkers and create camaraderie in the workplace. I really enjoy that aspect of going to a place to do work. And when I am feeling less and less like doing that and feeling more and more like just plugging in my headphones, staying in my office mm -hmm. and getting my work done, that's when I know there's something about this environment that is making me want to be smaller as a protective mechanism. You know, while you're talking about that, for me, that, you know, it's, you said it's how you start feeling. So my reaction to that type of inner environment is not to get smaller. It's just, you know, how I, it's to get bigger and defensive. Yeah. Mm. So when, when I start getting bigger and defensive and maybe even like lashing out a little bit, that means something's yeah. off. So it's almost the opposite for me. That's interesting. So, and this is, this is one of the things that I, I really enjoy about talking to people who come from different backgrounds than me, because I think I start recognizing like, okay, why, why am I not showing up that way? And I think for me, a lot of the reason I don't show up that way in workplaces is because a lot of it has to do with the immigrant, the yeah. immigrant mentality. I was raised, do not rock the boat. Mm -hmm. Do not within your own family, within your own family environment or just no, to the outside the, world. When you leave the way I show up in the house versus how I show up outside the house mm. are very different. I am a much more watered down version of myself when mm. I leave my home. Mm -hmm. In my home, I'm allowed to voice opinions, getting, mm. I'm talking about like growing up as, as a young person. I could mm -hmm. be emotional in the house mm. and angry and defensive and aggressive domineering any of the leader typical you know toxic leadership qualities you see in dude I, could, I did all of that in the house and because of a lot of other issues that we don't have time to get into into this podcast episode but the the immigrant perspective very much was do not rock the boat mm. you're not safe everyone <laughs> This is sounding really paranoid, but you have to always be on guard because people may not have your best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. A, because you're a woman. B, because you're a brown woman. Mm -hmm. So I think learning that at a very young age really suppressed some of those qualities that I have in me in, in the workplace. And I, I'm doing a better, I've done a lot of work on this over the last five years. So I know now how to be my authentic self in the workplace. Like I've reintegrated some of that stuff, but you have to unlearn. Absolutely. Some of that, you know, because like when you're young, you need those protections because you could get into trouble mm -hmm. and the world being the way it is, you know, again, it's, it's not, a, it wasn't a terrible thing, but mm -hmm. when you are the driver and you're in control and you trust your GPS, your internal GPS, you can start retraining yourself and unlearning. And I didn't realize that I have other personality traits that could show up in the workplace because mm -hmm. I think I took it for granted that, oh no, 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 this is how I am. 
this is who I am here. I can be whoever I want. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. when you bring those naturally, those authentic traits into the workplace, it actually makes you better at your job. Yeah. It actually makes you more relatable. I, it's yeah. taken me so many years. I mean, you all have known me for a long time, both of you, yeah. and I have evolved. I'm very proud to say that I have evolved. I, it's interesting to see the general generational differences in women between like boomers, Gen Xers, millennials and, and younger women. And I feel like our generation, which we're sort of, I, I identify we as, we're, we're, we're sort of Xennials, Gen Xers. I, I, I sort of identify as a Gen Xer, but I'm right, right on that cusp. And I feel like we're sort of like the last generation that were grown up by that previous generation that said, no, 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 don't rock the boat in, especially in this environment where in many cases I was the only woman in the room. Yeah. I had that experience many times. And I was like, you said, Amy, I was being quiet and I was being small and I had to really plot and plan my words when I was going to speak and had to really think about, I felt like I had to have a binder of information to back up anything I said. Oh my God, that right there. Right. Yes. That you (laughs) cannot, even the way that women apply for employment is so different than how men typically apply for jobs. Yeah. I've seen it over and over where like I watched my dad or my brother or, you know, someone I was friends with look at the description of a job and be like, yeah, I can't do, I don't have the experience for most of this, but I, I can do it. I can do it. I'll, they won't know. I'll just say, I can do it. Make it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That. And then as a woman, you're like, I need all this evidence to show that I am worthy <laughs> and that I deserve the 75% of the dollar that you're going to pay me for the same work. Yeah. Please give yeah, me that that's money. That's so true. That's so true. Oh my gosh. We do more yeah. work. Statistically speaking, we do more work than our counterparts. We get yeah. people less. And we have more anxiety about how we show up. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. That's a really good, good point. I I took a long and winding path and I finally ended up in an environment where I'm in a female majority workplace and I really love it. I have to say that because the values are, are lived, you know, it's very conscious and the way you treat other people matters honestly, more than the results. Mm-hmm. And if you treat people badly, you're not going to be looked at in, in a way of like, this is somebody good to work with. And that is considered professionalism. And I think for me, that's what keeps me in my role is, is just that level of mutual respect that I think I've had so many jobs in my career. And like you, both of you, I've had this winding path to, to where I've ended up. And I've been in environments that were cutthroat, male dominant cutthroat, where it was almost encouraged to sort of be competitive amongst each other. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that that breeds safety. It doesn't, it doesn't bring out our best qualities. And so I, I think kind of getting back to what you were talking about, Julia, with personal values, I think it, this gets to self-awareness. Like I don't think a lot of women are going, Hmm, 
what are my personal values that I, that I need to bring to work? You know, like they're, they're not, they're not necessarily sitting down and thinking about that. They might be thinking, Oh, I haven't been happy at work lately. I don't know what's going on, but when you can actually do the diagnosis, this, like that self-awareness process, which both of you, this is what I love. Whenever I have an issue in life, I come to both of you and you both give me like different, but similar sort of advice, which I really, really love and respect. But I think it's because you're both really self-aware people, but not everybody has that like quality of self-awareness to be like, how do I even figure out like what my personal values are? Like, how do you go about doing that, Julia? I think it's a lot of feeling where something feels good and something doesn't and knowing where certain things are important to me and other things aren't. I think I've been lucky. You know, if you talk to my friends, they would be like, really Julia's values hasn't changed since she's been 13. She's might've, and I don't want to sound like I'm, my, I'm stuck in the mud and I'm not open to change because trust me, my view of the world has drastically changed, but there's certain sign values. of growth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's certain values that they're probably right. That have been there since I've been like in middle school or early high school that haven't changed. You know, one is I was, it was instilled in me to help those that are less fortunate than me. My privilege was always told to me. And, um, you know, you're privileged. <laughs> you're a white woman. And because of your privilege, you need to help other people that don't have that same privilege. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's one of them that in- was instilled in me in a very young age. I think that's the beauty of being raised by hippies that were part of the, you know, very active in the civil rights movement. <laughs> Also, you know, just doing something for purpose too. I would have a hard time doing my job just to help a company's bottom line, if that makes sense. Whereas, yeah, so that's really important for me. I can't just go work for anybody. I really need to feel like I'm making a difference in the world. And it may be, you know, that difference might be small in some ways or bigger than others, but it can't just be all about selling more hamburgers, for instance, you know? So I'm very lucky that I get to, you know, help bring healthcare services into rural and underserved communities, for instance, that, that means a lot to me. I need to have a tied to purpose where I'm making an impact. So those two values, you know, I think part of it's been how I've been raised, but also just what's important to me, you know, show up very, very large in my life. That's awesome. I think there's, there's certainly the approach where you look for where you like moving forward, you can look for jobs if you know what your values are. I've found in talking to a lot of people, they really struggle to identify what their values are. So what I found that can be helpful is if you look at previous work you've done and really detail out the things you loved about all of those jobs. Like even if it was a toxic environment. There had to have been some aspect of the job that you enjoyed. And if you put it all on paper, it will tell you the things you value. So you can hit this from the reverse too. Mm-hmm. You know, you can retrace your steps and see, oh, okay, this is evidence that's supporting that I really like training. I really like supporting. I really like helping people. Or I like environments where I get to create content or be innovative. So innovation and training, and those are, those are practical ways you can, like if it's hard for you to conceptualize, that's a practical way for you to get at the same answer too. Yeah. Can I just add that I think 
an important career path is also understanding your strengths and what lights you up, like what you get so fired up about. Um, For instance, I get fired up about bringing people to the table and convincing them to belong to an idea. That's, I mean, that's what I do. Mm. I do advocacy and I love like learning something new or, you know, um, a policy type information and then really getting people fired up about that. What I don't get fired up about is how to come up a new way of doing something that like starts overwhelming me a little bit, being really, really innovative outside the box thinker. I can do it, but it's almost intimidating. Yeah. So I think it's important to know where your strengths are and what lights you up and like makes you, I was just reading an article that, you know, that's what burnout usually happens when people are in jobs that doesn't light them up. Mm -hmm. Um, And for instance, they could be a really big picture thinker Mm -hmm. and they're in jobs that are looking at constantly just looking at detail and minutia, you know? So it's understanding your strength and what lights you up too and finding jobs. I'd love to be able to when I interview people, I'd love to be able to almost do a test that can see that their strength and their passion aligns with what this job is. If this is detailed, yeah, if this is a detail oriented job, then it's probably not, I don't want to put someone in there. That's an innovative, big thinker type. You know what I mean? It's just the two. So I think that's important in your career. And I didn't even realize how important it was until a couple of years ago when I did a test and they're like, oh yeah, you love to bring people to the table and, you know, get people fired up about an idea. And I'm like, well, of course I do. That's what I do for a job. But it's like, oh yeah, well, that's why this job is so important to me. You know, that's why I love it so much. And it's so much fun. So it's finding that out. I think there, it's important to recognize too, that there are different reasons why you seek employment. Yeah. Sometimes you are looking for a job because you really need the job and you will then convince yourself of anything so you can secure the position and bring yep. an income. Yep. And other times you really want a job because the qualities in that job really align with the things that light you up and, and your values and, or, or you feel like it's going to propel you to where you want to go. It could be like a yep. stepping stone job. So getting to um, really know, okay, why am I pursuing this job? And knowing that, like having almost that internal conversation with yourself can really prepare you for success if you get it. Because if it's like, okay, I know this isn't my dream job, but there are things I can get from this position Mm -hmm. that I can leverage in like a year and a half. Then you survive a potentially miserable situation. A lot right. Easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And we've all been there. Oh, for I've sure. Had, I mean, I've, we've all been there. I've had jobs where it's not, this just wasn't like the, wasn't my dream job. And, um, it was definitely just to pay the bills. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we've all been there. Yep. I always like to say everything's an opportunity if you don't waste it. Yep. You know, yeah. and I've, I've had that experience where I've taken a job and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be and wanted to quit, but, you know, just dialed in instead and brought myself to the role. And I, I think I'm different in the, in that way from you, Julia, and that I, I, I am an out-of-box thinker. I like to, I'm a fixer. I like to fix yeah. things, <laughs> people, 
situations, projects, organizations, I, I like to come in and sort of quietly study, observe, learn, and then come up with like really cool and innovative solutions. And sometimes those things, I like being surprised by the journey. I don't like to be right. I like to mm-hmm. learn. I think being a woman in some ways has informed me because I had to work so hard throughout school. I felt like I always had to prove myself in this whole other way because I was the only person that looked like me in my classrooms. And because I had four other siblings who were varying different personalities and I was always being judged against them. And so I had to be my own distinct self. And so all of that has informed who I am in the workplace today, where I feel like you can value all perspectives. You can learn from any situation, as long as you're willing to be open and flexible. And I think one of the things that you both have said in this conversation that really stands out to me is how do I feel in my body? Like, like, and learning from yourself rather than reacting to whatever anyone else is saying or doing, but turning that into self-reflection in that moment. Like when you start feeling those feelings of negativity or, or anything that doesn't feel compatible with your true authentic self, you have to sort of step away and go, Hmm, what's really going on here and Mm -hmm. do that analysis. And that is the process by which I have left organizations, left jobs moved away is to do that analysis and kind of go, Hmm, this isn't feeling right. Why? And so that I don't then go into another role Mm. that's going to provide the same <laughs> toxic exactly. yeah. it just feels familiar. And that feels, yeah. oh, well, it's not great, yeah. but it's comfortable. And I've had to like level up each time. And that means there's going to be a period of discomfort because it's right. not familiar. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Great. You both brought up great points about leaning into your strengths. And I think Sultana, when you say about how the attitude you have when you move into a role, you know, looking at things as an opportunity. I think that right there is a huge, huge key how you frame adversity and challenges in your mind um, can really set you up for success later because it's like you can either do the negative self-talk or you can do like the, oh, wow, this is really, this is really hard. Like I'm this is very challenging to me. This must mean that some area within me that maybe is a little weaker is going to get strong through this process, which I can then leverage and use as a skill later. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, sort of like that boot camp. I'm struggling here. I'm going to really hit this hard. And then I'm going to be really good at it later. I'm going to share an example. And I'd love to hear from each of you, if you've had something similar happen to you in your career, because I love what you're saying, Amy. Early on in my career, I was in my early twenties and I got feedback in a performance evaluation. And it was sort of my, I call it my first big girl job. I had had plenty of big girl jobs, but this was like, for me, it was like the big leagues. I was working in a consulting environment. It was a new career. Um, I was really trying hard to prove myself. I was working really, really hard and putting in the hours and trying to show up as my best self. And I got this piece of feedback that that I needed to be more detail oriented, that I was coming in with these big ideas and they were so helpful, but then the small details were not like following that. And I got similar, (laughs) but different feedback in a job before that, where I actually had uh, somebody say, oh, you're getting too big for your britches, Sultana. (laughs) I know, I know, right? 
Somebody actually said that to me. Anyhow, that's neither here nor there, but I've always mm-hmm. been a leader, but you have to deserve before you desire. That was another piece of feedback I got mm. from a mentor. You have to deserve before you desire. And even if you have those qualities, Sultana, you have to work for it and prove yourself. And so I was in the process of kind of doing that. And I got that piece of feedback about being detail oriented. And I think I was so focused on showing up as that leader and proving myself. I forgot about those details. And so I took that feedback because I wanted to be perfect. I had these perfectionist tendencies, but I decided to really drill, drill into that. And over the years, really everything I did started building process documents, spreadsheets Mm -hmm. for everything I did. And, and what's so funny is it came full circle where some years ago I was in a job and I got performance feedback and that must've been like a decade later. And one of the pieces of feedback I got was you're so detail oriented, Sultana. (laughs) And I laughed about it later. I had to kind of hold my face together because I just remember this piece of feedback that was so devastating to me, but then I turned it into a strength of mine. Mm -hmm. And so what I do now, I have a team that reports to me, but I have learned from that. And I encourage them like, we have to document things because if somebody's out of the office, one of us has to be able to pick it up. If somebody leaves, there's duplication across roles. I've learned so much from leaning into that one skill. So I'm interested to hear like for each of you has something similar happened in your career, like a piece of feedback that, you know, cause I think sometimes it's like, we, it's not that we're sensitive, but I think because we work so hard, I feel like women have to work so much harder to do the same thing that when we get that feedback, it can be like, oh, destruction. Have you had something like that happen to you? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I agree with any type of feedback Then I, then I being that type of perfectionist, then I'm going to like dive deep into that. And really, even if it's a weakness of mine, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pull it out, understand it, make it not a weakness. I do that. I do that in my personal life too. You know, when I'm working out, as soon as I identify a weakness and I'm going to go deep into that and try to get better at that. Once again, though, we can't be everything. We can't, you know, we can't be everything to everyone. And I think even though I have a team, it's a small team. So there's a lot of different hats I have to wear and it's understanding who on the team does what better and what my role is in that. Not that we all, there's times where we all have to get our hands in and literally get dirty with things. But I think it's in some ways, it's unrealistic to think everyone needs to be the best at everything. I just don't think as humans, we are wired for that. So what's the value in being the best? You never learn anything. Right. Yeah. You know, like the whole point of life, I think at least is to to grow, evolve, change, mutate, yep. shift, you yep. know? Yeah, there's we're, no way. We're mutants yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Be an expert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's so interesting, Sultana, that you asked that question, right? No one ever wants to talk about their weaknesses. No one ever wants to show, it's hard, it's vulnerable to say mm-hmm. like, oh, I used to suck at this thing. And I thought I was, you know, God's gift to this role. And <laughs> it turns out I'm not, you know, no one wants to, to say that, but I, I have, I have lots of examples of, of that, you know, the performance review conversation and, you know, stepping into the office and being like, 
Oh God, this is like the principal's office. And I never went to the principal's office because <laughs> my parents would take my television privileges away. <laughs> so I had a motivator. Uh, anyway, so I, I remember at least three separate occasions getting similar feedback. And it, it was always, I was exceeding the expectations of my job. And why am I not applying for advancement? Mm. Why am I not putting myself out there to move into a different department? Um, one where I could grow more. Mm. I like being a big fish in a small pond. Mm. I was terrified of change, terrified of failure. Most of my roles have been technical. I really like technical, detail-oriented work. So lots of spreadsheets, databases, systems, talking to systems. That's kind of been my career trajectory. And so I would do all of that. I would get to the point where I would automate my job. I would figure out an efficiency strategy to work smarter, not harder. And then with the extra time that I would have, I would find some low hanging fruit that no one was paying attention to and resolve it. I would develop a process for it or write and build an SOP for it, or just through forging relationships with people who worked in other departments, have a conversation about like, so why doesn't this thing work? What's going on? Mm. And then go back to my desk and be like, I got, I got an hour. I've done all my work for the day. Let me, let me take a look at this and then start mm. plowing away at it. And I would have something to show and be like, Hey, I just took a look at this. And I think this could be the fix. And I just I whipped up this gourmet cake. <laughs> no, but you know what? Like I really did myself a disservice yeah, by not, sure. by not acknowledging like, wow, I'm, I'm really good at this stuff. I'm mm -hmm. good at innovation. I'm good at mm -hmm. looking at things that are broken mm -hmm. and figuring out how to work them. Why don't I move into a department that does that? Yeah. And I think I would, again, look at the people in the department and not see anyone that looked like me. Like they were male dominated. Yep. You know, they had been in the organization much longer than me and had really climbed their way up. And there's mm -hmm. always this feeling of like, People are going to look and be like, who do you think you are? You know, how, yeah. did, you, how did you get here? Right? Yeah. And yeah. I really have to do a lot of, a lot of work on that. I still oh. struggle with this. Oh, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. So what I've, what I've done now is, as a step, is like, okay, let me get involved with or create or join initiatives that are focused on making those kinds of changes within the organization, but my role in my, in my job doesn't necessarily change. So this way I can have one foot in the safe zone and then one foot in the risk oriented zone. Yeah. And usually so, that helps me transition out. Yeah. What's interesting is, so Sultana, you are the innovator, big thinker. sounds like Amy, you could figure out the processes like to get from the Sultana's big idea. You're going to figure out all the steps to get there. 
And then I'm the type of person that once you figure that out, I'm going to galvanize people around that. Yeah. I'm going go to go. We're like, tell- we got our I know, exactly. Entrepreneurial. Let's make this happen. What do we, where yeah. do we need to go? <laughs> yep. Yep. Cause I'm going to go convince everybody. This is the best way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love it. It's so funny. We're like the, yeah. the, we're our Power own ex women. Yeah. Yeah. I think as we kind of close out the conversation, uh, what advice would you give to your younger self? Honestly, there's a quote. Um, oh gosh, who was the woman who wrote Lean It? Sheryl Sandberg. Sheryl Sandberg. Thank you. She has a quote in there that the most important career decision you ever make is who your partner is going to be. Mm. Oh, boom. And- And that would be my advice to my younger self, because when you're a career woman or someone who wants to advance yourself and one day get into leadership, how your partner shows up is literally going to make it or break it. If they're constantly jealous and um, not supportive of you doing this type of work and moving and um, growing Um, then it's really, really hard to do it. If you have a partner that's a hundred percent behind you and isn't jealous and supports you, and is so excited about your energy to do your work, then it makes all the difference in the world. That makes sense. When I read that, it was like, wow, it does make, it's a really important part of your career, believe it or not, because, and you know what? I don't think that's just for heterosexual people. I think that's for any, anyone, any kind of partner that you have that you're spending your extra time with needs to be in a place that supports your career and understands your goals and ambitions and doesn't feel threatened by them. That's what's fueling your battery. So when you leave, you can do that work. So if you have that being Mm -hmm. drained out of you. Yeah. And I've had both. I I'm currently with my husband partner. That's very supportive. And wow. I feel like, I mean, since I've been with him, I've been able to get my master's degree. Not, it's not just him, but it's the support system I have behind me. I've been able to move into this, you know, leadership position. I've been able to grow hugely. And I, when I had the opposite, I was fighting tooth and nail to just keep my head above water, even in the workplace. Yeah. I think that's, it's so important what you're saying. I, I heard earlier on in my life that men measure their success by their job. Women measure their success by their partner. And I think in, in many cases, that is often how we show up in the world. When people see a woman, it's like, how's your relationship going? When they see a man, it's how's work. A lot of times now, of course I'm, I'm in the Washington DC area. And so there, it tends to be a little more balanced, I think here, but still it's like, I think we, as women are evolving and, and I think however you identify, um, mm-hmm. some people tend to lean a little bit more on each one, but I think the intersectionality of the two, how the two coexist with each other, like you're talking about Julia really, really matters because if you know that you want to have a really successful career, then you need to find a partner that's going to help support that and vice versa. If your focus is more on a relationship, then you need to make sure that you have a career that's going to support that. And and vice versa for your partner. And we don't always, we're not really taught that we're sort of taught to find like somebody who has, you know, this type of education 
this shows up and drives this kind of car, has this kind of job, makes this much money, whatever is handsome or, or beautiful or whatever. And those really are not the qualities that you live with. It's more like, is this person going to be there for you when you're down? Is this person going to support you? Like you said, when you, when you have success or are they going to find micro, are there going to be microaggressions in the home environment that slowly tear you down where you're just having to keep your head above water. And anybody that's listening, that's experienced that knows the horrific torture that that can be over time. But when you can experience that safety of a safe space and a support system, it makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. You just blew my mind with something you said, Sultana, about the whole, you know, male gender versus female gender perception of like women relationships. It's such a basic concept, right? We know this, Mm -hmm. but then I started thinking like, wait a minute, this is kind of true. When I talk to my, the the men in my life, I always ask them how to work. And then when I talk with the women in my life, I, I almost always ask them about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, like I almost, I don't think I ask them that often about work. And I think maybe part of it is because I don't talk about work. Yeah. I and if we did, if we did, what would be possible? Right. And, and how much more could we help each other? I think that we have to find ways to, you know, we were talking about some of the women that have helped you in your career, Julia. And I know I've had a couple, but how can we better connect? Because I think we will find that we have common problems Mm -hmm. and we can find common solutions and find ways to support each other at work. Men do this. There's Mm -hmm. a very active boys club in every workplace. So why aren't we doing it as women? Yeah. Oh no. You know, we've talked about this before the mentoring that's really important important to me because, you know, having that, having that and talking with amongst each other and, you know, explaining challenges that we have. Sultana, I don't know how many times I've, you know, sent you a message or called you like, this is what I'm having. Give me your advice because, you know, it's, we, men have that and we need, we need to create our own network like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So a a lot of that too ties into like salary sharing that's a, that's a whole other topic, but <laughs> just touching on that, that informs you a lot about how your role is valued and, and knowing mm. how others are being valued versus how you're being valued and how to, yep. so, so kind of getting to your original question, <clears throat> I think if I could go back and talk to myself as a young person, I would have reminded myself that employers aren't paying me for my skills. They're paying me for my ability to learn. Mm. And that's an area I excel at. So even if I don't have everything that they're looking for, I should have tremendous faith in my ability to learn because I've been doing that my whole life. And my failure rate at learning things is much lower than my runaway rate is, you know, <laughs> run away right. from a, a challenge or, or something that I feel like I don't have evidence to support for success. I so love I think, that. Yeah, I think I would, 
I would go back and remind myself that it's not about what you've done. It's about what you have the ability to do mm. and learn. I love it. Sultan, I want to hear yours too. I want to hear yours. I think I would go back and tell myself you're enough. Mm. I, I never felt like I was enough, like mm-hmm. you're worthy. And, mm. um, and I did not value myself for just the things that benefit me now in my workplace. When we talk about authenticity are just my natural innate qualities. I've had to go through this, you know, long career to finally figure out, like you talked about Julia, who you were at 13 years old, those qualities are still there. It's the same for me. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I decided to become vegetarian when I was like seven years old and I was taking petitions door to door. And I was, I was never arrogant, but I was confident. I believed in, in the good of people. I was helping other people who I innately was is who I am innately. Now it was when I was trying to like counter those qualities to fit in and try to belong that I sort of really struggled because if I was using that as a measuring stick, like we talk about representation and there was no one that looked like me, nobody. And I look younger than I am always. And so I've always been treated in that way. And I've had to prove myself. I remember I started a job. I was hired for a job and several of the executives, this was a previous job. They interviewed me on the phone. They had never met me, which I think was to my benefit. And then I remember I started the job and one of the executives came into my office and he thought he'd walked into the wrong office. (laughs) He proceeded to ask me to print out my resume for him. Oh my God. This happened to me. And I did, I did it with a smile on my face. I did it calmly. And then for the next several years, I effortlessly executed my job to the point where he would come and consult me on every little project and would actually get upset if I didn't help, you know, come in and offer my, because he came to value my experience. I have always been in that situation where I felt like I had to work so much harder. Mm -hmm. And I think if I just trusted myself and knew that I was enough, I would not have Mm. taken it so hard because there were days where I would come home and I would just cry. I didn't take it personally at work, but, but sometimes I took it personally, like there was something wrong with me, but there was just no one like me Mm -hmm. and that's okay. I was forging that path. And I think a lot of us are in that position where we are forging that path and, and that creates the opportunities for others to build on our success. When I see people who have worked for me, who go on to do greater things, I'm like, Booyah. That's awesome. I, I, there's nothing greater than somebody that I've mentored over the years. And I think I value the fact that most of the people that have ever worked with me, I'm still friends with, or for me, like I'm still friends with, they're some of my closest friends in the world. And I think that just represents the fact that I'm, I'm a good person. And I bring that to my work. And I, I think it's not, it's not something I should have felt ashamed about. <laughs> I love it. I am enough. I love that. It's, yeah. So important. It's so important. It's, I think, the undercurrent of everything we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. All of our younger selves could hear that message for sure. Yeah. <laughs>